Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. Today's topic is going to be pathways and setbacks. That's right, not setting you back because you don't have enough business lately because of the coronavirus. We're talking about setting back from the ridge of the roof. Residential solar installers know that they usually, in most places, are not allowed to go up to the ridge of the roof like they used to be. And that's not in the NEC, the National Electrical Code. That is in the building codes. The IRC is the International Residential Code, which is published by the International Code Council. So Bill Brooks, who many of you know, is part of my heat spring classes now. And we just released a two hour free course titled Solar Building Codes, Fire Codes, EVs, Rapid Shutdown, and Energy Storage Systems. And this course counts for NABCEP continuing education units and prerequisites if you want to get NABCEP certified. This is a great place to start. So if you want to sign up for the class or find out more about me, you can go to SolarShawn, that's S-O-L-A-R-S-E-A-N.com. And if you want to find out more about getting NABCEP certified, go to NABCEP, that's North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners.org. That's NABCEP.org and solarshawn.com and let's bring on the knowledge setbacks 18 inches three feet how far can you go from the ridge of the roof these days with newer irc codes you can go up to 18 inches from the ridge rather than three feet but it depends on which code cycle where you are has adopted yeah i know it gets a little bit complicated but let's do some learning so just to sum this up right at the beginning that's the 2018 international residential code where we get the 18 inch setbacks from the ridge that's not the pathways that's the setback from the ridge the pathways going up to the ridge have changed somewhat they're still three feet but there's different places where we might have to put them but 18 inches from the ridge that would be in a place that has already adopted the 2018 irc a place such as california and it's interesting to note that massachusetts that adopts the NEC first did not adopt the 2018 International Residential Code yet at the time of this recording. And this recording is about the time of this podcast, which is March of 2020, my birthday month. Now Bill's going to talk about the 2012, 2015, and 2018 International Residential Code. For anyone that's moving on to the 2018 code, which California now is officially fully on the 2018 fire code, building code, and residential code, then in other states that are doing the same thing, many states have moved already moved to the 2018 code, these rules apply. And then we can talk about some of the things that they modified from the previous version of the code, which was the 2015 and 2012. So the 2012 code was the first time that these things actually found their way into the code for setbacks. Setbacks started in 2012. There's still jurisdictions out there on the 2009 code. So they wouldn't have any setback requirements in those communities unless they pre-adopted some of those requirements. Now I'm going to read something that's in the IFC, the IRC, and the CFC. And let's talk about those TLAs, those three-letter acronyms. IFC, that's the International Fire Code. The IRC, that's the International Residential Code. And the CFC, that's the California Fire Code. And that pretty much copies the IFC. So what we have here is access and pathways. Now here is a reading. Access and pathways. Pathways shall be over areas capable of supporting firefighters accessing the roof. Pathways shall be located in areas with minimal obstructions such as vent pipes, 
conduit, or mechanical equipment. End of reading. Now that last statement there in that first paragraph is hugely subjective. The idea is that you don't want to use an access pathway to run all your conduit. But if you had to cross the pathway or you know, occasionally there was something in that pathway, that's not the worst thing in the world. You just don't want to use the pathway as a means of conduit and things like that, which a lot of people in the early days when we started without really reading that very carefully, you'd see layouts where, yeah, I've got a three-foot pathway here or a four-foot pathway, but it was full of conduit because that was where they wanted to run their wiring and everything like that, and that kind of defeats the purpose. And my next reading will be the exceptions. Number one, detached, non-habitable group U structures, including, but not limited to, detached garages serving group R3 buildings, parking shade structures, carports, solar trellises, and similar structures. And number two, for the exceptions, is roof access, pathways, and spacing requirements need not be provided where the fire code official has determined that the rooftop operations will not be employed. I want to just get the point across right here, right now, that we are talking about pathways. We're not talking about setbacks with these exceptions. And then there's some exceptions shown here. Non-habitable group U structures, that would include things like Covered parking would be a good example of a group U structure. It's uninhabited. It's even a barn, you know, if it's just used for storage of whatever, things like that. Could be a group U structure. People are always asking about that with rapid shutdown, too. Like, do you need rapid shutdown? Yeah. Well, it's, in fact, they specifically talk about... So detached group U structures, including but not limited to detached garages serving group R buildings, R3 buildings. That would be a detached garage that would be used for like a multifamily housing community, something like that. Parking shade structures. I just mentioned those. Carports, uh, solar trellises, and similar structures. So all of these things are explicitly exempted from these rules. Again, we got to remember this is the 2018 fire code. The reason there's a lot of explicit language there and exceptions is that people were trying to use these rules in those structures and it made no sense. And so we you know, had to go and actually make it so that it was clear that there was an exception. Roof access pathways and spacing requirements need not be provided where the fire code official has determined the rooftop operations will not be employed. So there are communities around the country where they say, we're not going to let our firefighters get on to, for instance, light construction. There's been a big push in the last decade or so about the danger of fighting fires on light wood construction that could fail earlier than other types of construction. And so in order to prevent firefighters from falling through roofs and things like that, the community just says that when we show up to a site that's got that, which would include things like engineered truss roofs and on houses they just say we're not going on the roof so since we're not going on the roof you can go anywhere you want we don't care what about like i was on the paramount theater in oakland one time i mean it was just thick concrete all the way across that stuff ain't gonna burn that's correct and so the pathways on something like that are not for things like ventilation because ventilation is never going to happen. But there may be rescue operations, there may be access operations where they need to get to a certain point. And a lot of times those kinds of roofs that might have a concrete roof will have things like skylights 
or they may actually have vent hatches and those vent hatches that are specifically for ventilating smoke out of the building, knowing that it'll never burn through the roof, are actually something that may have to be activated by the fire service and they have to have access to those things. And now the question to be answered is, how do you know if your roof is strong enough to support firefighters on a pathway? What if you have a big overhang? In the code, it says pathways shall be over areas capable of supporting firefighters accessing the roof. What exactly does that mean? Early on in the process, even in the first version in 2012, rather than talking about areas that were over structurally strong walls and things like that, it just basically says that it has to be able to support the firefighters accessing the roof. So all roofs that have been built in the last 50 years have live load provisions that have to be followed and the firefighter would be safe on anywhere on a roof that's met those live load provisions. Occasionally you'll hear people talk about, you know, what about overhangs? And so, you know, you should not count overhangs in the process because somebody could be out on the edge of an overhang and somehow that's not strong enough. The response to that is that anything that's met the building code requirements for live load that's not a problem. Even if there were an overhang, then that overhang would have to meet the live load requirements, the code. Occasionally, much more in older homes, you might have an older home that has a large overhang that's not structurally strong. So in those cases, those are, again, with older construction, usually more than 50 years old, and it's usually fairly obvious. You know, there's like a piece of plywood just hanging out the side of the house and they've got a little two by four holding it up. That two by four isn't part of the roof structure or anything like that. And uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to be standing on the edge of that. Good old days. The good old days. But on newer homes, in fact, that's why you don't see a lot of overhangs on newer homes. And it has to do with the structural requirements of the roof because you'd have to build so much to hold that overhang. You might as well build a porch roof or something like that from a cost point of view. So Now I'm going to read some things, three different things from the IRC. That's the International Residential Code. And that is another thing that I'm going to talk about a little bit here too, is that the International Residential Code, the IRC, applies to residential buildings, not the IFC, the International Fire Code. There might be things that are the same, but that is not the scope. We'll talk about that a little bit later, the scope of things. And so it is not the scope of the IFC to cover residential buildings. However, some fire departments might make you do it anyway. Now, back to the IRC. We're going to read a couple of things here about pathways to the ridge. So we're talking about pathways to the ridge. We haven't got quite to the ridge yet. And so not less than two minimum 36 inch wide pathways on separate roof planes from lowest roof edge to ridge shall be provided on buildings. At least one pathway shall be provided on the street or driveway side of the roof. So this says that we need at least two of these 36 inch wide pathways. At least one pathway is going to be on the street or driveway side of the roof. Now I'm going to read the second thing. And this says... 
For each roof plane with a photovoltaic array, a minimum 36 inch wide pathway from the lowest roof edge to ridge shall be provided on the same roof plane as the photovoltaic array on an adjacent roof plane or straddling the same in adjacent roof planes. So what we're saying here is that one of these pathways has to be by the PV array, either on that roof plane of the PV array or adjacent to it or straddling the same and adjacent roof planes. Now, the third and final thing that we're gonna talk about here, and I'm gonna read in a second, is pathways shall be over areas capable of supporting firefighters accessing the roof. Pathways shall be located in areas with minimal obstructions, such as vent pipes, conduit, or mechanical equipment. That's right, we already even talked about that, minimal obstructions. Most of the time when you want to learn something, it's good to hit it from different angles. So let's hear Bill's angle. There's a requirement for two 36-inch wide pathways from eave to ridge, from lowest roof edge to ridge. So think about the eave to up to the ridge. And that one of those pathways has to be on the street or driveway side of the roof. And that's because the fire service is going to approach the home. That's going to be the most likely place that they 90 plus percent of the time, they're going to mount the roof. If they decide to go up to the roof, they're gonna go onto the roof on the street side or driveway side of the house. That way they don't have to worry about Fido in the backyard fighting them off to get their ladder up there. They want something quick and easy that they can visibly see. Also with their scene lights, if you think about this, remember if a fire happens at night, they're gonna need their scene lights. So they're going to be shining these from the roadside and the backside of the house might be completely dark to them. They can't see anything. So um, anyway, those are... That's what people call me when they can't spell Sean right. They go, scene. Scene, that's right, yeah. So let's talk about how great it is to have so many different entities picking different times to enforce different types of codes and how easy it is to understand all 50 states. Yeah, right. The residential code is universally applied throughout the country. The problem is that there are multiple versions of it. And so just as the electrical code causes us some heartache and headache and mm -hmm. confusion on which version of the code you're on, this is new in the 2018 code to address some of the confusion and complexities of the 2015 and 2012 code. That's where we made famous the three-foot-wide setbacks on eaves and ridges and sides and everywhere and and, and you invented that right well the three foot i did invent wow bill brooks invented three feet three foot has to do with the edge of the roof from a wind loading point of view and there's a lot of high wind areas where the outer three foot area because of the wind loading requirements and the wind loading calculations, we can't even put solar panels there, mostly along the eastern seaboard, southern Florida, places like that. So that's what kind of birthed the three-foot rule. And then these are variations that have been essentially adapted those rules and made them a little less stringent and a little easier to employ. So the story goes that they were sitting around making up codes, firefighters were there, and they were saying, we want four feet from the ridge so we can cut a big hole up there on the roof to vent smoke out. And Bill says, would you settle for three? And they went for three. Woohoo! So that was like a whole foot worth of PV that we could put up there. And now we're getting down to 18 inches. Somebody told me that in New Jersey you can go up to the ridge. 
It may be. Again, these rules can change. New York has rules that are much more like the 2018 code. The 2018 rules are somewhat modeled on the New York rules, which came out well before the 2018 IRC. And so there's been lots of discussion about these rules and how to apply them. And now a reading from the IRC. Setbacks at the Ridge. For photovoltaic arrays occupying 33% or less of the plan view total roof area, a minimum of 18 inches setback is required on both sides of a horizontal ridge. For photovoltaic arrays occupying more than 33% of the view total roof area, a minimum of 36 inches, that's three feet wide setback, is required on both sides of a horizontal ridge. So what this means is that if we have a roof that's totally full of PV, then we can't fill it up as much because if it's totally full of PV, like greater than 33%, then we still have to comply with the three foot rule, three feet from the ridge. But if the PV is not covering 33% of the roof, then you can go 18 inches from the ridge. How about that? Hit it, Bill. Roof setbacks. Roof setbacks. So here's the setbacks to the ridge. If the PV system is small, 33% of the plan view of the roof, then you can go to an 18 inch setback on either side of the ridge. And it's either side, it's gotta be on both sides. You can't just like scoot 36 inches on one side or anything like that because the firefighters, when they walk along the ridge, they straddle the ridge because that's the safest place for them to be because that's the strongest part of it. And if it's more than 33%, there's also a provision in here. If the house has sprinklers, you can go up to 66%. But here's the example of 33%, and that's an 18-inch. That's only 33% of the entire plan view. So it includes the side roof and everything. It doesn't matter whether those roofs are accessible to one another or anything like that, because it's just a total roof area equation. This is the IRC, the 2018 IRC. So oh, anyone, okay. anyone on the 2018 IRC, which quite a few communities are starting on to the 2018 IRC as of the beginning of this year. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's probably at least a third of the country, maybe. So a third of the country. And then as far as like the big solar states, you got like California's half the solar. Yeah. I mean, obviously California adopted it early. New York is, you know, got a fair amount, but they have their own rules, which are very similar to this. I believe Massachusetts is still on the 2015. I think they're sometime this year they're going to the 2018 and, and New Jersey, they may have not applied it at all. So states can come up with their own exceptions to the code if they wanted to. Do you ever see them measure it? Yeah. To get that 33? Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of inspectors carry measuring tapes with them because the code has all kinds of measuring rules. And quite frankly, not a lot of inspectors go on rooftops, mm -hmm. but if it's looking a little sketchy, if it looks a little bit tight, mm -hmm. you know, you're probably going to run into problems. If you're 29 inches or 32 inches or something like that, most inspectors are probably not going to get overly upset about that or concerned about it, but that's not a good call if you happen to get the inspector that does pay attention to all that stuff. So it's not a good idea to skimp on those Give, give them a tape measure that has centimeters on it. Yeah, right. And just so, relabel them. As... And just so you know, so you have it on the top of your consciousness, that there's 2.54 centimeters per inch, which is about 30 centimeters per foot, or to be exact, 
we're talking 91.44 centimeters per three feet, or we'll just call it 90. However, if you're trying to be tricky and you're using a centimeter tape measure in place of an inch tape measure, you would take 36 centimeters, divide that by 2.54, which gives you 14 inches from the ridge. You'll probably get in trouble for that, but that's what you would get besides. But also like just for, you know, the 33% of the roof area, how are they measuring that? I guess at the building department? Yeah, the 33% of the roof area would have to be done at a plan review mm -hmm. for sure. Basically, that's just a length times width and just trying to total up all your roof areas and then total up how many solar panels you have and what their yep. overall area is. So here's an example where it definitely is more than 33% and you have accesses from eave to ridge from one roof to another roof. And that would also be acceptable. This is coming from the driveway side up to the ridge of the first ridge and then over to the second eave and up to the ridge and that would be acceptable. But then they have that at the very top there, the exit, which would be something that would normally never get used except if these other pathways were cut off in the fire. Then the firefighters would run around the other side with a ladder and rescue the guys off the roof. Is this exit a requirement? It is a requirement. So up on that ridge, you've got two pathways. Mm -hmm. One comes from the eave at the driveway side, works its way up into that second ridge. But then along that second ridge, you have to have second, essentially an egress, a way to get off that ridge. And that's what that's for back there. What if somebody's planning on burning down their house for the insurance money and they don't want the fire department to save it? Can they just go up to the ridge? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But that's probably a no. <laughs> and now we're going to read some more from the International Residential Code 2018 version. And this is like poetry. Alternative setback at the ridge where an automatic sprinkler system is installed within that dwelling in accordance with NFPA 13D, setbacks at ridges shall conform with one of the following. One, photovoltaic arrays occupying not more than 66% of the plan view total roof area, not less than 18 inch setback is required on both sides of a horizontal ridge. And two, for photovoltaic arrays occupying more than 66% of the plan view total roof area, not less than a 36 inch setback is required on both sides of a horizontal ridge. And we're talking about sprinklers. Sprinklers make your house not burn down. So you can go up to 18 inches from the ridge if you fill up to 66% of your roof with PV. Let's talk more about that. About the 66% of the roof plan can go to 18 inches of the ridge as long as it's fire sprinklers. So fire sprinklers, uh, you know, the fire department is consistently looking for ways to encourage people to put sprinklers in homes because they're so effective in preventing fires. If they can get the people in their community or a subdivision even to put fire sprinklers in, that greatly reduces the likelihood that they're going to have to fight residential fires and save people out of them and things like that. And so this is a way of incenting that is basically saying, hey, we'll let you have a little more ridge room and then you can put more solar on this building. California has gone to all residential construction is required to have sprinklers now, but they're the only state in the country that I know of that has that rule. There are other states that have regions 
that would be called very high fire severity areas that might require sprinklers in residences, but it's pretty rare in other parts of the country. Now, personally, I have PV all over every direction on my roof. I have south, I have east, I have west, and I have north. At first, I put PV on the south side of the roof. And when I put it on the south side of the roof, it was a pretty good investment. And then the price of PV went way down. So the PV system that's on my north side of my roof cost me half as much per watt, but it makes 66% as much as the south-facing roof. So do that. Check out PV Watts or some kind of software that can determine what your solar would make, and you will find out that a lot of places throughout America that you can get two-thirds of the production on the north side of your roof that you could on the south side of your roof. So if you're in a place that has good incentives like high electricity prices, going north in California, for instance, might be a better investment than going south in one of those 12 cent a kilowatt hour cheapo states. So let's talk a little bit more about cheap PV and what that has to do with ridges. These kind of houses where you see solar all over the place is going to be common. In fact, we're going to want to put as much solar as we can on roofs and it really comes down to how much additional benefit those additional modules create for the system. And with modules being so inexpensive, even modules on the north side of a roof, as long as the roof is a fairly low-pitch roof, they could be anywhere from 50 to 75% as valuable as perfectly facing, south-facing modules. And if it's only a small increment in the cost of the system, it's pretty obvious that that's gonna be done. And so actually these setbacks become even more important because now you gotta think about it on the north side of a roof, which normally would have been a fully open roof in the past. Yeah, I got it on my north. I saw this really cool picture in a German magazine, and it was a complete PV roof. I mean, the 100%. Can't do that here in the U.S., right? The only way you could do that in the U.S., well, there's two ways. One would be, we saw the exception at the beginning that said that if the fire department is not going to do rooftop operations, they're never going to get on that roof, then you could go eave to ridge anywhere you want. So you just go talk to the fire department? Yep. And ask them if they do that? That's right. People have much success with that? Uh, some, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's parts of the country. Arizona is an area where the fire service has decided that they're not going to do residential rooftop operations. It's already too hot. It's already too hot fire. anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's like whatever. I may not be 100% correct yeah. on that, but the point yeah. is there are places out there. And if you do know where they are, then you don't have to worry about these setbacks. And then there's also provisions in the residential code going into the 2021 code about building integrated systems. So if you have a building integrated system and that system meets the requirements of rapid shutdown and therefore is intrinsically low hazard by nature, then it doesn't matter where the panels are because nobody can tell anyway. It's you know, impossible to know where they are. And then if you were to cut into them, they're gonna be at a low hazard level anyway. Like the BIPV, like can't the BIPV, that's like the one exception to rapid shutdown where it could be up to 600 or 1,000 volts on a building. The assumption is that if you met the requirements of option three that we'll talk about later, it means that you have no exposed wiring, but you also are not within eight feet of any grounded metal. And so when you shut the system off, these systems are typically floated. There's no reference to ground. Even if you were to contact conductors, the likelihood of getting shocked from them would be extremely low. You'd be like a bird on a wire. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not something that 
you're going to see firefighters just, you know, wanting to find the wires and stick them in their ears or anything mm-hmm. crazy like that. But if they were, it's very unlikely that they'd ever find a way to get shocked with these system, yeah. those systems. Mm-hmm. Like say on your house right now, like if you wanted to put BIPV up to the ridge, could you do it? I would have to make sure that my jurisdiction was clear on what was mm-hmm. going on there. And because it would be new and different, they might ask questions and they might send me to the fire department because that language is not explicitly in our current code. Yeah. And so they may question that. And you'd probably have to bring them the 2021 code and say, well, here's what they're talking about doing there. And this complies with that. You know, it would take some discussion. Up to now, we've never had that problem. I think folks like the Tesla power roof are kind of pushing the envelope, if you will, because they're talking about covering the entire roof with this stuff. There may be active and inactive portions of it, but for the most part, if you can make the whole thing safe and meet the requirements, then there'd be no reason not to make Mm -hmm. the entire thing active. So if somebody was to ask you as an expert, like some inspector, would you tell them that they could do that 100% with BIPV? I would say that it's certainly meets the requirements of the new code. Like the... Okay. And so, yeah, so it's possible. So I guess to be more specific, which new code? That'd be the 2021. So yeah, whenever the 2021 is adopted, it has language about BIPV and meeting the requirements of rapid shutdown in 690.12. And as long as the product meets those requirements, and certainly PowerRoof can, it Mm -hmm. can. So 2021, which code? This would be the IRC. IRC. Yeah, the residential code. Mm -hmm. So once people go on to the 2021 IRC, then that would be an option. And people could still do it today, but they would have to make those arguments with their community and they may or may not be successful. Mm-hmm. So there's no guarantees on that. Mm-hmm. What did you say? Arguments with community, Bill? Is that something like called Community Choice Argumentation or CCA? We have another podcast on that. And so once again, the 18-inch thing, that's only to the ridge. It's none of the pathways where you walk up. That's right. The pathways are always going to be 36 inches wide. It's just that we don't need very many of them. In the past, we needed a lot more. And now we only need two eave-to-ridge pathways for a roof plane. That's not that difficult to do. So the IRC versions that we've been talking about go from 2012 2015, 2018, and even 2021. Well, actually, the good news is the 2012 IRC doesn't have any requirements in it at all. That is an important point. The 2015, and that was a mistake, by the way. <laughs> so, But we like mistakes like that. The 2015 IRC does have specific rules in it, and those rules are a little more difficult to comply with. That's why these rules are better and some states have actually actively skipped over those 2015 rules for residences. Time for another reading. In the 2018 IRC, it says emergency escape and rescue opening. Panels and modules installed on dwellings shall not be placed on the portion of a roof that is below an emergency escape and rescue opening. A 36 inch wide pathway shall be provided to the emergency escape and rescue opening. Remember what those are? Those are those things that teenage boys sneak out at at night. This is a section that was added to the 2018 IRC about 
emergency escape and rescue opening. So on the second floor of a two-story home, if there's a window that goes out onto a lower roof that would be used to rescue somebody out of the second floor of a building, those things are typically called out on the plan sets. So whether somebody even has the plan sets or not, that's another story. But let's just say you did have the plan sets and there was a second story window that was designated as a rescue opening. Then you have to supply a three foot wide pathway to that opening. It doesn't have to go straight from there to the eave. It could go over to another pathway that then goes down off the roof. But it's just something to be aware of. And here we see an example of that where... There's this lower roof that uh, would be a place that somebody could be rescued. And so then you got to have a gap in your solar panel so people aren't having to like scoot out on top of the solar panels to get rescued. That's what, when I was a teenager, that's what we would do at midnight on a weekend. Exactly, we exactly. So you want to make it safe for people that, you know, for, for teenagers that are skipping, skipping out on their parents. So there, there are multiple benefits for these pathways. Yeah. If that was BIPV, then you could walk on it. If it, yeah, if it meets the requirements of rapid shutdown, that's right. Anybody who is on the 2017 code would have to meet the requirement. It's not an option. So a lot of times you look at the code and said, well, if you comply with this, then you can do that. But if the if is a foregone conclusion, then it's not an if anymore. It's yes, you can do it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, next subject. Thanks for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. That was some talking with Sean and Bill. We were talking about pathways and we were talking about setbacks. This material that we just covered is covered in much more detail at our free two-hour online course at HeatSpring, which qualifies for NABSET continuing education credits and prerequisite credits. The name of the course is Solar Building Codes, Fire Codes, EVs, Rapid Shutdown and Energy Storage Systems. That's right, we even cover electric vehicles backfeeding the grid. So you gotta check it out. Over now.